Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. You're listening to All the Books a weekly show of recommendations and enthusiasm regarding the week's new book releases. This is episode 306, and today we are talking about books being released on April 13th, 2021, and more. I'm Liberty Hardy, here with Vanessa Diaz, and we're coming to you from bookriot.com. Vanessa, hello! Hey friend, how are you? I'm pretty good. It's April, it's beautiful out, things are blooming. I get to that point of the year where nature really freaks me out. (laughs) Because it's like moving around outside the house on its own. Like the other morning I got up and there were like these, a few little tiny purple flowers on our lawn. And when my husband and I went back out to like look at something in the yard, there were hundreds of little tiny purple flowers on the lawn. And I was like, they did that by themselves today. Like they're just moving. and They're uh, multiplying. It freaks me out. It's cool. But like, I'm like, oh my goodness. What is happening? I um, am not currently in Portland, but I do obviously live there now. And it has really, like, I was not used to what the turning of the seasons, particularly from winter to spring, look like, Mm -hmm. (laughs) especially because two years in a row now I've been in lockdown while it happened. And then all of a sudden you just go outside one day and you're like, wait, all these trees were just bare. What's going on? Like, it's so (gasps) strange to me. I'm not used to it. fast. And I also pummels, pummels my allergies. So I sound a little congested, I'm sure. But it's because, uh. yeah, springtime like does a number on me. <laughs> but it's cool. It's still pretty cool. That could be like the name of a musical or something. Springtime does a number on me. Springtime does a musical number on me. I was waiting for it, Liv. I was waiting for you to say it. <laughs> it's fun, though. But like, I always get very sad about the plants and trees that bloom for like a second. And then they're Two gone. Two days, yeah. I also did not know that was a thing. Yeah, our crabapple tree, I named her Mabel. She she gets like the most amazing pink flowers. And then like two weeks later, they're gone. And that's it for the rest of the year. And I'm like, oh, but you're so much prettier with your with your pink flowers on. Yeah, I did not know that's how that goes. Yeah. And like the daffodils, they've already bloomed and, and they're dying already. And then that's it until Aww. next year. And it's wacky. But we've seen lots of cool birds. The squirrels are starting to come back. I saw my first lawn bear yes. last week. I lost my <laughs> mind. I literally fell to the floor and whipped my shirt off and was like, woo! He's like, what are you doing? I very <laughs> much enjoyed that. My first woodchuck <laughs> of the spring! I was so excited. <laughs> that is a sentence I've never said before. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was great. But I really love it for you. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, they're so funny. I hope that there are babies. Like, I, I've been kind of, like, stalking out the burrows under the bushes in our yard <laughs> and just, like, looking for signs. I'm like, that hey! dirt looks like it might have been moved. I'm like a woodchuck detective. <laughs> That's amazing. Please wear a hat. <laughs> oh, yeah. A deer stalker, but it would be like a woodchuck stalker. Woodchuck stalker? Yes. Yep. This is the thing I need. <laughs> These are the things that entertain me. I love nature. I would like have animals all around me all the time if I could. My friend f- was like walking through her lawn the other day and she just came upon this like spot that looked weird and she looked down and when she moved the grass, there were five baby bunnies. 
just like right there in this indent Aww. in her lawn. And she like took pictures. I was like, I would, I would be like, I want to touch them. I wouldn't yeah, touch too. them, but it's so hard. You're just like, don't touch them. I know you can't imprinting. Yeah, because mom wouldn't like that. She might eat them. <laughs> I have unfortunately witnessed this very phenomenon happening, and it was a little traumatic. Oh, <laughs> so yeah. yeah, don't don't touch the bunny. That happened to me I, when I was a child too. Our yeah, mama rabbit yeah. decided, like, I don't really want these. So I was like, ah. Thirty five years later, my cousins had bunnies. <laughs> I walked in on her, like, uh, thumping the bunny to oh, death and no. was like, what's, she's petting it. And then. This is taking a very dark <laughs> turn. A teachable moment, happy. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Let's get back to happy in books. <laughs> Nature is cruel. <laughs> All right. Before we talk about books, we are going to hear from our first sponsor. Okay. So I don't even know if I can talk about this book in a tone that anyone can hear except for dogs because i'm so excited it is my favorite author you know who i'm gonna say we have a new story collection out today it is the souvenir museum by elizabeth mccracken my favorite i love her so much i love her writing i was lucky enough to host her one time at the bookstore i used to work at i'm certain i embarrassed myself many times in front of her i was so nervous but Oh, she's just my favorite. She wrote The Giant's House, which is one of my very favorite novels. She wrote the story collection Thunderstruck. She has a few other story collections. Most recently, she wrote the novel Bowl Away, which I talked about on the show. I just love her. She is an expert at writing these smart, concise like stories and novels that have just a smidgen of weird in them. You know, I would even call her stories eccentric tinged with sadness. They often involve relationships. A lot of the times it's within, within families and these people are flawed and they're lonely and they're just clawing at the world, you know, clawing at the ground, trying to be understood, like trying to find their way. One of these stories is about an actress who works on a children's show. Uh, she has to spend New Year's Eve with her estranged brother who is kind of like he, they haven't really gotten along and he's kind of a deadbeat. Um, there's a, one about a father and son who go on a trip to study puffins, which, speaking of nature, puffins are real things. Some people don't believe puffins are real. They are real. They are so cool to look at. And we actually have them around here. I've never seen them because they're oh, really? out like on the Isle of Shoals off the coast here in, in mm. the seacoast. I've never been out there. I've never seen them in person, but they are something that we have here in Maine. So I feel pretty chuffed about that because they're so cool to look at. Um, so you should definitely Google puffins if you've never seen one. There's one about a trip to a water park. These uh, husbands take their their young son to this water park. Some of these involve the same characters in different situations. Um, there is Jack and Sadie. They are a married couple, and we get a story from them every few chapters. Uh, we first meet them in probably my favorite story, uh, where they are at Jack's sister's wedding. You can just tell that Elizabeth McCracken loves her characters. She's so tender with them. And the stories are just filled with the absurdity of being alive and also the absurdity of the world, you know, after after tragedy, like how something can affect you so much. And yet the world around you does not seem changed at all. Uh, it's it's so good. They're just so beautiful and wonderful. And I absolutely love this collection and everything she does. I mean, I am biased, but like, she's amazing. And I have to tell you this story because I love these ridiculous book coincidences. 
And last summer, my husband was growing eggplants in the garden, and he got one that looked like it was about to be tied into a balloon animal. It was like this really, 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 really long eggplant. <laughs> like it's a, it's a certain kind. I can't remember what it's called. But I was like looking at it, and I said, I want you to tie that into a balloon animal. He's like, I don't think I can do that. And I was like, I want a balloon animal. And I literally went to our mailbox after that, and I opened up a package, and it was a copy of Souvenir Museum, which has a balloon dog on the cover. And I was like, I got my balloon animal. (laughs) It was the weirdest thing. But it made me so ridiculously happy. I love book coincidences (laughs) like that. I mean, how often do you even think about balloon animals? I mean, it was just amazing. But I'm getting off subject like I do, but I just love this book. It is called The Souvenir Museum, Stories by Elizabeth McCracken. Okay, so I have that galley, and I knew I couldn't pick it because I know that you love her, but I confess I've never read her before, and what? every time I, like, see it, I think of you and how I should be ashamed, but oh, yeah, <laughs> I won't no. remedy that soon. <laughs> I'm usually, like, if you want to read this book like go, or talk about this book that I love, like, go ahead, but there are a couple of authors that I would definitely, like, come and find you. I knew you'd fight me for that one. <laughs> yeah. Pull your arm off and hit you with it. As you should. Yeah. And I like my arms, so. (laughs) Okay. Well, I will tell us about our next or my next pick, my first pick, because that's how time works. This is a really fun book. It's called Hanukkah Carries On by Uzma Jalaluddin, who is the author of Aisha at Last, which I've been meaning to read. It's um, like another retelling or reimagining of Pride and Prejudice. So this is her latest. It's uh, like a romantic comedy, I would say, with trigger warning really quickly for Islamophobia. So Hanakan is the main character. She's 24 years old and she lives in Toronto in this really close-knit suburban neighborhood called the Golden Crescent. And she works there part-time as a waitress at her parents' restaurant, which is called Three Sisters Biryani Poutine. And it's the only halal restaurant in Golden Crescent. So the restaurant at one point was doing you know very well, especially because it is the only halal restaurant in the neighborhood. But over time, it's just kind of a little bit run down and just doesn't see as much business as it once did. Hannah herself has a bachelor's and a master's and her dream is to work in radio. So she, again, she works part time at the restaurant, but her real dream is to, to work in radio. And so she has this internship that makes that dream seem a little more realistic at this local radio station. So she works at the radio station where she deals with this pretty hefty set of microaggressions and works with this very like ruthless fellow intern she's working at the restaurant, but then her real passion, again, is in telling stories. So she pours her energy into this podcast that she runs under an anonymous name, has a decent little following. She's even struck up kind of a friendship with one of her listeners, you know, anonymously, they don't share names or like details, but they're kind of each other's best friends and like confidants all the same. So all that's going on when one day Hannah is working at the restaurant and this very handsome guy walks in with an older gentleman who we quickly learn is his dad. And at first you think maybe you're witnessing a meat cute because Hannah serves him this plate of biryani. He takes a pause to savor it and he tells her that it reminds him of his mother's cooking who has passed away. And then the dad opens his mouth to basically trash everything about the restaurant and cuts down his son. And then the son kind of also takes a bit of a tone with Hannah and tells her that you know, yeah, look around, like, if you don't do something to update this place or, like, get with the program, you know, someone's going to run you out of business. And so the interaction turns sour very quickly and, you know, they leave. It's at this time that her aunt and her teenage cousin arrive from India for a surprise visit. And Hannah's, like, trying to figure out why it is exactly that they're there. Like, she's because she can't quite figure it out and the visit was sort of so unannounced. And then at this weekly 
don't know if it's weekly, actually, weekly, monthly, but it's one of the association meetings for, you know, the neighborhood businesses. It's revealed that this new upscale halal place is about to open, like, right across the street from her, you know, mom's restaurant. And this is, of course, bad news because it's going to, you know, it'll threaten her already struggling business. And then towards the end of the meeting, <laughs> in walks the hottie from, you know, the, the restaurant the other night, Aiden and his dad. And we learned that it's Aiden and his dad that are opening this restaurant. And so... You know, Hannah sees red <laughs> and it kicks off this whole series of events. So she is essentially trying to figure out, you know, how to keep her mom's restaurant alive, but also focus on her hopes and dreams, which are to work in radio and overcome all kinds of obstacles in that field, how to carve out her space in the world, how to, how to find her voice, and to deal with these feelings that she is starting to have for Aiden, in spite of the fact that she wants to hate him so badly. And then a hate-motivated attack on the neighborhood kind of complicates the entire situation further. And Hannah just, like, doesn't know what to do. So this is, again, romance, so you kind of know where we're heading. It is very funny. <laughs> it was so great to see the community. Like, the community is one of my favorite parts of the book. Because we have, you know, Hannah and her her family. She has this sister who was at once gonna be like a pro soccer player but then she was told that she couldn't wear her hijab while she played so she just like walked away from the sport and never looked back <laughs> and so now she's she's pregnant and her and her husband are trying to decide kind of what they want to do with their lives her best friend is a syrian immigrant or his, his parents were syrian immigrants and they work at like the market across the street like everybody in this neighborhood has a really cool story and they're all just so tight-knit and even when they're up against these impossible circumstances like always come to each other's aid it was just so nice as it always is for me to see like brown love on the page and for everyone to yeah come together to kind of show that that love wins you know in the end and it's just again so funny because <laughs> hannah's funny and she's trying to to figure out how to you know, have that voice, but also, you know, do her family proud. And that's a thing I think a lot of us can relate to. So again, super fun book. I cannot wait to go back and read Aisha at last. And that is Hanakan Carries On by Usma Jalaluddin. Okay. My next pick is a sweet, heartbreaking debut novel. It is The Funny Thing About Norman Foreman by Julieta Henderson. It is about a 12-year-old boy named Norman Foreman, as you might have guessed from the title. And he has a best friend named Jax, and he and Jax are planning on being a famous comedy duo. Norman is a very sensitive young man. He has a lot of fears, and he has a lot of worries, but he doesn't have a lot of friends, and his friend Jack is his whole world. Jack is his best friend, and they've decided that they are going to be a famous comedy duo, starting with... The Edinburgh Fringe Festival, which is a very famous event every year, although, of course, they probably didn't have it last year, um, where a lot of very famous comedians have gotten their start. Eddie Izzard got her start there. It's just like it's a, a really established festival. And Jackson Norman want to go there. And as shy and hesitant as Norman is, Jax is boisterous and fun. And he's also really the funny one. You know, he drives Norman to want to be funny. Um, but then tragedy strikes and Jax dies. It's a horrible loss for Norman. And Norman decides that the best way to honor Jax is to complete their plan. He's going to go on his own to the Edinburgh Fringe Festival and do their act, even though Norman is shy and afraid of public speaking and, like I said, not really the funny one. His timing is not very good. 
but he's just so sweet and earnest, and he wants to do this for Jax. Now, Sadie is Norman's mom. She's a single mother. She had Norman when she was very young, and she was seeing a few people at the time, and she doesn't know who Norman's father is. And Norman has always wondered who his father is. And Sadie wants to help Norman with his plan. She's, you know, worried about him because he lost his best friend, and she wants to help him, you know, honor Jax. Uh, but she also finds out that Norman has a second plan because he envisioned a road trip to the Edinburgh Fringe Festival, but on the way, stopping to meet these people that his mother had dated and hopefully finding his father. And so Sadie agrees to this whole thing. And they hit the road to find out who Norman's father is and also to help him, you know, complete his and Jax's dream. It's just so sweet and heart squeezing. You know, they learn a lot about themselves and each other along the way. And it's just this amazing book about love and loss and following your dreams. If you like those feel-good books that also have like a real punch to the heart, this is a good one. If you like Frederick Backman or Rachel Joyce, Norman also reminded me a little bit of Owen Meany. And it also reminded me of one of my favorite books, One in a Million Boy by Monica Wood, which I think so many more people should read. I just, I love that novel. I can't talk about it enough. This is definitely the book for you, then. It is called The Funny Thing About Norman Foreman by Julietta Henderson. Oh, that sounds so sweet. It is. Oh, and it also makes me miss traveling. Edinburgh, yay. Okay. I will tell us about my next pick, which is a super departure from my last one. This is The Night Library of Shannon a vampire opera in verse by Jessica Levi. So this is like fantasy, horror, and I say that with a question mark. It is. It's just depending on what you, you know, what, what horror is to you. But only trigger warning here, I suppose, is for vampire type stuff. So if you're really sensitive to, it's not exactly body horror, but, you know, bites and such that is there for you. And this is a vampire romance opera, which are three words that I was like, oh, I didn't know I wanted to see those together, but I do. And it's all told in verse, specifically in Pushkin sonnets, which I admit I had to look up what this all means. But Pushkin sonnets are so named because the style was popularized by Russian poet Alexander Pushkin. And the verses for this type of sonnet are all in iambic tentrameter, which means it's a verse with four measures. And the rhyme scheme is this very specific. I won't like sound the whole thing out, but you know, you can look it up and it's it's a very specific sequence, kind of like iambic pentameter is. So the book opens in the prologue. We learn that a long time ago in 1897, one of the Hellers, who are a long, long, long line of vampire hunters, kill the Graf and Grafan in their beds. Graf and Grafan are believe German words for like count and countess. And when the new Graf that took over after these other two were killed proposes a truce, or when he comes into power, I should say he proposes a truce. It's a rather fragile truce, but it's a truce that is struck with the, you know, Heller family to say that no more, like the vampires won't kill anyone while they feed and in return, the hunters won't hunt. So again, it's fragile because it's not actually saying that the vampires won't feed at all. It's just that they won't kill anybody while they do it. And whoever of these two were to break this truce, or if anybody breaks the truce, then that person will pay a fatal price. So that truce has, you know, however tentative persisted for hundreds and hundreds of years. So now we see, or we meet this young girl. She's at the time of the, when the again, in the prologue, she's, she's very young. I think she's like six or seven. 
She is the granddaughter of Lucia, who is the matriarch of this Heller vampire hunter family. Her son, Lucia's son, died. And so now the people that are kind of left over in the family are Lucia, the matriarch, her daughter-in-law, Ava, and now her granddaughter, Kunigund, who is essentially the kind of heir to the throne, if you want to call it. She's the heir to like the family legacy of vampire hunting and has been taught like the tradition, if you will, since she was a child. Part of that truce that was set up long ago is this tradition of having to introduce the children in the family to the Groff. And so at the beginning of the book, we're watching as Kunigun, who also goes by Kinga, is taken to the castle to meet the vampire Groff of Sternendacht. And it's, you know, a very uneasy meeting, like they're only taking her to see him because it's part of tradition, but they kind of just want to get in and get out. And while they're there, the vampire gives Kunigund this collection of fairy tales and is like very nice to her and says like, hey, I want you to have this and I hope that you will take it and treasure it. And then they just kind of get the heck out of Dodge. So then we flash forward now in the present, Kinga is 19. And that fondness that she sort of immediately felt for the Groff when she met him as a child has morphed into something deeper. Like she's kept that collection of fairy tales very close to her heart this whole time. And so now that she's older, one day she just sort of invites herself over to the castle under the guise of wanting to study in this huge library in the castle that she was very impressed by on that first visit as a kid. And so she kind of keeps coming back to the castle, like inviting herself over and over again until she is granted an audience with the Graf, you know, the, the vampire. And it doesn't take long for him to sort of be smitten with her and she with him. And, you know, guess what? That's a problem because... Again, Kinga is the heir to this line of vampire hunters, and her grandmother is not going to have it, and indeed does not have it when she finds out what's going on. And then the Groff himself is already married to another vampire, the Groffan, and she is salty AF. Not so much because she loves him, because there's just always a marriage of convenience, but because she, you know, she has a lover of her own, like she's fine. But it's the prospect of losing the power that she feels she's rightly earned, and so she wants to get rid of. Kinga for, you know, having turned her husband's head in her direction. So it's this big operatic love story that caters to and like references many beloved romance tropes, but it's also kind of a fresh perspective. And the ending is very like love costs a lot, like, you know, the, the cost of love, like love costs more than it seems sort of thing. It is obviously a take on the star-crossed lovers trope, but the ending is very like, ugh, it's a little bit bittersweet. But it was so much fun to spend time with. I did have to kind of retrain my brain on how to read Iambic Tentrameter because I, I was like chopping it up in my head. And then I ended up watching a reading by the author online and realized she was reading it just like a, a novel. <laughs> I was like, oh yeah, I guess if I had just read it that way and not made my brain like chop it up, it would have flowed better. And once I did that, the rest of the book just kind of changed for me. So yeah, it was a lot of fun. It feels a little bit like a quote unquote grown up vampire romance. And I'd say that with quotes because I don't mean it in a disparaging way. Like I love me some vampire romance, but it was it was great to spend time with something that was, you know, in the poetry veins. I definitely don't read enough poetry and was a lot of fun overall. So again, that is The Night Library of Sternendacht, a vampire opera in verse by Jessica Levi. Haha, <laughs> poetry vein, vampire jokes. <laughs> My next book is something completely different. And it's very short, so I'm not going to tell you very much about it, but it is definitely worth mentioning. It is called Open Water by Caleb Azuma Nelson. And it is this fantastic novel. It's only 160 pages long, but it's so powerful. And the writing is almost transcendent. Uh, it requires you to pay very careful attention. It's just, like poetic. It's about love and the realities of the world. 
It's about two young black British people in South London who meet and fall in love. Both characters are unnamed, so I'm going to refer to him as the photographer and her as the dancer because you might have guessed that is their occupations, or at least he wants to be a photographer. She is a dancer. Um, And it opens, they meet at a party. The photographer asks to be introduced to the dancer. He sees her at this party, and it's about as much love at first sight as he's ever experienced in his life, this beautiful, tall just very elegant woman, and he says to his friend at the party, he, it's not, he's not his close friend, it's just this guy he knows, he says, introduce me to your friend over there, because he wants to meet her. And then, after they are talking for a little bit, he's embarrassed to learn that his friend who he asked to introduce them is actually her boyfriend. He was like, hey, tell me about your friend, and you know, and then realizes, like, oh, it's, <laughs> it's his girlfriend. But, you know, he just, he's just very taken with her. And he's like telling his friends like, ah, if I, you know, if we don't make it, I'll never love again. I'm going to become a monk. Like he's just so enraptured by her. And later she asks him to meet to become a part of this photography project. And again, you know, you know, he's, it's all very, you know, like just friendly, but he's so taken with her. And you can also kind of tell like they're sort of circling each other. And he's embarrassed, like, when his friend shows up, you know, to this meeting, even though he, like, nothing has happened, he just feels guilty for, you know, even thinking about her. And, you know, there's a scene where, like, they're at a barbershop together, he and the dancer, and, like, the barber says something about how they're obviously in love, you know, just by looking at them. And, but, like, they, and they realize this, and eventually, you know, they, they can't deny it. But the world is a cruel place for young lovers, for young men, for black people, and they are subject to police violence and brutality, and it changes everything about their relationship. The book, like I said, is very short, so I don't want to say much more. It's just so full of beautiful language about a hopeful but also brutal world. Uh, The ending made me feel like crying, which I always see as a good sign in a book. And I want to give content warnings for racialized violence, language, and police brutality. It is called Open Water by Caleb Azuma Nelson. And I think we are going to be hearing a lot more from him. And now we are going to be hearing from a sponsor. Okay, Vanessa, what do you have next? Okay, I'm actually going to talk about a book that came out last week, but I could not resist talking about it. And Lib did kind of like tease it a little bit in her roundup of books that she was excited about that came out that day. But since she didn't tell you too much about it, I took that as a green light to blab as much as I want about it. <laughs> One of my favorite authors, this book is Pieces by Helen Oyeyemi, and that's Pieces, P-E-A-C-E-S. This, oh, Helen Oyoyemi, if you don't know her, is a British-Nigerian author who has written books like Voice No Bird, White is for Witching, Gingerbread. And in case you can't tell by some of those titles, she's really well known for taking fairy tales and like throwing them in a blender and setting them on fire sort of thing. Like she's just twists them and does these impossible things and comes up with these really kind of weird stories. But I love her so much. I love her stories. So this book is a little bit of a departure in that it's not really rooted in a fairy tale. In fact, it's very much not, but it is still very, has that like surreal quality that is, I think, a hallmark of her writing. So we meet Otto and Xavier at the beginning of the book. They are a couple who have just committed to one another, though not through actual marriage, they've decided to essentially join their lives with legal paperwork. Like Otto has completed a a deed poll to change his name from Otto Montague to Otto Shin. So now the two are, you know, together. They're living as as a couple. As a sort of gift, a a non-honeymoon honeymoon, honeymoon, (laughs) Xavier's wealthy aunt has gifted the couple a trip on this very strange 
train. So the train long, long ago was a tea smuggling train. Now it's just a regular, in quotes, passenger train with a special quirk. And that's that the owner was once one of the residents that lived on the train and has just sort of refused to leave. And so everyone just sort of knows that like Ava Kapoor lives on the train. And that's just that. Then Otto and Xavier again have this trip on this this train that's been gifted to them. So they show up to their sleepy local train station that's, I think, in in Kent. And with, with their pet mongoose in tow, which is one of my favorite parts of the book. And there is a mongoose on the cover, and that's why. <laughs> so they, all three of them show up to this you know, train station. They don't even really know where they're going. Like, the tickets are vague. They just say that it's the mountains and lakes tour. But, like, which mountains? Which lakes? Which countries? No one knows. Like, cool, cool, cool. So before the train has even taken off, they start to notice a few other interesting things about this this train called the Lucky Day. It seems like there are no other passengers aboard, as far as they can tell. The carriages aren't numbered, but rather designated with like names and symbols. Xavier also is pretty sure that he just saw that that resident, you know, Ava Kapoor, which is fine, except that she was holding up a sign that she sort of like flashed at him. And he cannot, for the life of him, decide whether what the sign said was hello or help. And that's, you know, disconcerting because like one of those is very like nice and the other is like maybe kind of creepy and like, you know, foreboding. So he and Otto are trying to decide what to do. They kind of like get off the train, decide to try to track her down when all of a sudden the doors begin to close and like they realize they're about to miss the train. So they like jump on. In fact, Otto's luggage is like left behind. They, you know, make their way to their carriage and are still trying to decide like how they're going to track down Ava to make sure she's okay. And then in the process of doing so, just discover... I mean, really, a series of events kicks off here that is about discovering what makes this train so unique, the secrets the train kind of holds, but also about its passengers and a lot about each other that neither of them quite knew about. I don't want to say too much more than that, other than, you know, in the beginning, I'd say maybe the first half of the book, there are a lot of pieces, pieces, huh? like the title, um, just pieces that are sort of floating around for a while that you are thinking like could not possibly be linked. And then as Helen Oyemi is so good at doing, like she just kind of connects all those threads in the end in a way that makes sense and really does connect every single one of the characters in the story, like to one another in these very like revelatory moments that she also manages to keep kind of lighthearted in spite of the fact that really the whole book is, is very much about, you know, love, but also heartbreak and in being haunted by an unconfronted past. This is one of those books that it, it I, and I've seen this in several reviews, like it's an ending, but not a solution that we're given at the end. And that very much asks and asks us to examine like what it's like to so much want to be like seen and understood and perceived by the person who you most want to perceive you and what it's like when that does not happen for you. It's so, so good. And as often happens with Helen, like, I just wanted to, and I did, like, highlight so many of the sentences in this book. She's just, she's such a, such a wonderful writer, but she puts stuff together in a way, and I don't want to, you know, reduce it to just say, like, metaphors, but really, like, her, her analogies are just things that I would never have thought to put together, but that make such beautiful sense. So I love her so much. I hope more people read her, and I hope you'll read this book. And that is Pieces by Helen Oyeyemi. I love mongooses. Mongoose. Mongooses are fun. I don't know what I'm supposed to say. I love the wild world of weasels. All weasels. <laughs> They're so much fun. If I could, I would definitely have ferrets, but I don't I don't know that my cats would like that. But they're very similar to to a mongoose. I like how they like move, you know, like in like a wave. It's very distinctive. Yep, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> they're like slinky, 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 slinky. I love it. So but also 
you know, a mongoose is a very vicious, you know, very mm-hmm. strong, strong animal too. So probably wouldn't make the best pet. But hey, I would take my chance. You will see that in the book, by the way. <laughs> when you learn how the, the mongoose came to be a companion in the family, yeah. the part that Lib just said about them being a little vicious is, is, is in the book. Just warning. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, continue. Uh, my last pick today is something that I have not read but I am just so desperate to get my hands on. And I also think it's really worth noting because this is going to be a big title. It is Empire of Pain, The Secret History of the Sackler Dynasty by Patrick Radden Keefe. Patrick Radden Keefe wrote Say Nothing, A True Story of Murder and Memory in Northern Ireland, which is one of the best nonfiction books I've ever read. It was, you know, got tons of awards. People just cannot get over how good that book is. It's definitely worth picking up, especially with everything that's going on in Northern Ireland this week. And so it seems just wild to me that they didn't really do any advertising for this book. They didn't give any galleys this new book. And I think that Doubleday is just planning on it just going on its own merit, you know, that everyone's going to be so excited to read a new book by Patrick Radden Keefe. So I was not able to read it in advance, and I really want to. And it seems like very few people even know that this is coming out. The reviews in like the larger publications have hit the hit the internet this week and everyone seems to be saying I didn't know this was a thing so that's why I am telling you because it's pretty exciting and the elevator pitch in the description of this is a grand devastating portrait of three generations of the Sackler family famed for their philanthropy whose fortune was built by Valium and whose reputation was destroyed by OxyContin so apparently the Sacklers are one of the richest families in the world they are known for making donations to the arts and science uh, sciences. Uh, they have their hand and their name on a lot of things at like Harvard, the Metropolitan Museum of Art, Oxford, the Louvre. Unrelated, well, kind of related. I learned the other day, I don't remember where, that if you want to give a tour of the Louvre, if you want to work at the Louvre as one of the tour guides, you have to study for seven years before they will let you do it. Isn't that amazing? Seven years of studying to be a tour guide. That's incredible. But also that must be like the most amazing like education. But moving on. So it's about these three brothers, the Sackler brothers, I guess to start off with. They were all doctors and Arthur Sackler built the fortune creating and marketing Valium. And then they bought the drug manufacturer Purdue Frederick and it was run by his two brothers. And then later on, the template for Valium was used to create OxyContin, which made them billions and created a public health crisis like no other drug you know, and claim, has claimed the lives of hundreds of thousands of people. I'm very interested in reading this book. Uh, I have mentioned a couple of times my first husband. You know how I like to use humor when I'm talking about sad things. I want to say my first husband like Rue McClanahan. You know, I would, my first husband. <laughs> I've mentioned, you know, my first husband became dependent on drugs at the end of our marriage and... It was at the start of the OxyContin craze and no one even like understood what was happening and it just kind of like burned through our lives like a wildfire. It leveled everything in such a short time. You know, I didn't even understand what was happening. And I'm just very interested in reading about like the origins of it and and this side of the story. I'm also interested in reading about it because I'm allergic to Valium. So I would love to hear about like how it got started and, and what, you know, is in it and what they use it for because... It's not a very common allergy, but like I learned when I was in high school, I was in the hospital and they gave me a Valium and the nurse came back in a little while later and I had ripped my pillow apart with my hands because I completely hulked out on Valium. So that is the the side effect that I have from it, which I just find so interesting. So I'm not allowed to take it. But it is at the top of my list of books to read that are coming out this week. I've already pre-ordered it from my local indie It sounds amazing, and if you haven't read it or you're waiting to read it, 
Uh, I would go back and read Say Nothing because that book was incredible. This is Empire of Pain, The Secret History of the Sackler Dynasty by Patrick Radden Keefe. That does sound amazing. And I yeah. apologize for laughing and what you were transitioning to was like kind of a serious subject, but oh, you dropped no. the Golden Girls and I was like, <laughs> but you know. It's okay. Yes. You know, I like to use humor <laughs> when talking about serious things, but you know, I just, I really wanted to read it and they're like, sorry, we're just not, not doing anything for it. <laughs> yeah, that doesn't happen often, but when it does, no, it's like, Ugh. yeah, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I definitely would pick that up too. So I'm going to bring it home with my last pick, which is one that I didn't get to finish in its entirety because I had a baby niece born and my dad had emergency surgery all in like the same week. But it's so good of what I've read so far that I couldn't resist talking about it. And that is Love and Color, Mythical Tales from Around the World Retold by Bolu Babalola. So the fun fact about the author of this book, or one of the fun facts, is that she went viral sometime, I think last year, for photoshopping like a cute couple pic of herself with Michael B. Jordan. <laughs> so I actually knew about her before I knew like who she was, that she was an author. And this collection actually came out last year in the UK, and it's an anthology of love stories, as you can probably tell from the title. But what's really cool is that these stories span countries and history and are often based in existing folklore and mythology. So like some of the stories are her take on Nigerian folklore. There's a Ghanaian love story. There's remixes of Greek mythology. So you can see what like, you know, drew me to the book because <laughs> I just love all folklore and mythology stuff from around the world. And she also includes some original stories of her own, including one that I haven't gotten to yet, but it's a it's based on her own parents' love story, which I thought was really sweet. I, I just, what I have read so far is just lovely. It was like a balm for a lot of just anxiety. I think I've been feeling towards the end of this pandemic. And, you know, I use the end, the word end loosely here, but as we're starting to see vaccines and like some hope for some sort of a normalized future, the stories are just so lovely. They, they're hopeful and about love. And they often are also, you know, tragic because some of these, the stories that she's writing about or the, you know, existing folklore is, is often stuff that's, you know, violent and has a lot of patriarchy stuff in them. And I love that she's taken the stories and she's been, you know, true to them. She wants to retain most of their, you know, original message, but she's also twisted them around a little bit to, you know, give more power to the women in the story or to maybe make them less like grotesque and, and graphic and but still like again very powerful and rooted in the origin of the story. She has this really cool interview with Vice where she talks about how she realized as she was researching this book that, you know, it was a real privilege to be able to explore more about Nigerian culture, but also just African culture in general. And I agree, especially in the realm of stories that are about mythology and folklore, like we just see so much stuff that's rooted in like the Western canon, and it's great to explore the whole rest of this big wide world. And again, the part that I love the most is just how much care she takes with these stories to preserve those original elements. But, you know, as she says, like, there's a, a story that I believe is about the goddess Oshun, and she changes the story a little bit. But at the end, it's like, yeah, I wanted her to still have her power and wanted my readers to see her for the petty queen that she is, <laughs> which just tells you everything I think you need to know about the way she writes. So again, I haven't finished it. I've only gotten to like maybe a quarter or like a third of the stories, but I cannot wait to finish the rest of it because her writing style is just speaking so much to me. So if you need something like that in your life, you should definitely pick it up. And that is, again, Love and Color, Mythical Tales from Around the World Retold by Bolu Babalola. All right. Those are our new picks. What are you going to read next? I am finally, after having this galley forever, going to read Tirza's new book, which is, I think you talked about it last week too, but Pride and Premeditation, which is a murder mystery kind of reimagining of Pride and Prejudice by Jane Austen. And it's the first in a series of Austen murder mysteries. YA murder mysteries. So much Yay! fun. Yay! I'm so excited for her. Me too. 
Before I tell you what I'm going to read next, I do want to mention I read a book last week called A Certain Appeal by Vanessa King. It is a Pride and Prejudice retelling set in a contemporary burlesque club, and I adored it. It doesn't come out until November 2nd, but you should mark it down now because it was really good. The dancers are called Stage Kittens, which I loved. (laughs) That's amazing. It has really hot scenes that incorporate protection and consent, which I thought was really well done. And Darcy is actually not just like, I'm a big jerk and you're going to like me anyway, you know, like he is in in Pride and Prejudice, but he's, you know, he's actually like, he learns and he grows and it, I just, I thought it was fantastic. So that is a certain appeal by Vanessa King. You should definitely watch out for that. Um, And my next pick for what I'm going to read is Gutter Mage by J.S. Kelly, which I heard, I think maybe from like a publicist friend or an author friend was really fun. It's a fantasy hard-boiled noir novel, which sounds like a good time. Uh, yes. And it comes out in September, so that is n- next up for me. And that is it for us today. Thank you to our sponsors. Thank you to our awesome audio editor, Jen Zink. You can drop us a line at all the books at bookriot.com if you want to tell us your stories about rabbits or your mongoose. Uh, you can find us online. We hang out on Instagram. Vanessa is Buenos Dias SD. I am friends and comes alive. And if you want to give us a treat, and thank you to all of you out there who have been, you can go to Apple Podcasts and leave a rating or review. It helps other book lovers to find us. As much as we would love to tell you about more books today, we just don't have the time. But you can read about more titles out now in the show notes at bookriot.com slash all the books as well as find a link to our weekly new books newsletter. And for more recs or general bookishness, check out bookriot.com. And don't forget to check out our full stable of podcasts at bookriot.com slash listen, or just search Book Riot on your podcast player of choice. And in the meantime, happy reading. reading.